everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all of that and more. I am the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, and we talk about all of that stuff because our lives as parents, as mothers, as women, and as folks raising the next generation of children during particularly complicated times, it's a big job, and we all need to know what's going on, right? Let's see, last week we talked about measles vaccines and vaccines in general and the 26th anniversary of the Family and Medical Leave Act. And today I just saw in the news that Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, she's a Democrat from New York, and uh, has, I believe, announced her candidacy for presidency. Uh, along with Representative Rosa DeLauro, who's a Democrat from Connecticut. Um, They're planning to reintroduce the Family and Medical Insurance Leave Act this week, which is a bill that would guarantee 12 weeks of partially paid leave for new parents and workers who need to care for sick family members or who are experiencing serious illness issues themselves. Um, That's the phase two we talked about in last week's episode, remember? Phase one was where, you know, the Family and Medical Leave Act provided the guaranteed time off to many employers, um, but not with money, not with your paycheck. And so this is phase two. And it doesn't look like it'll face any opposition in the House. um, But even though it's being introduced by Senator Gillirand, it's not anticipated to have an easy pass through the Senate. Um, The House has a lot of women sitting in the in those seats now and there are far fewer women uh in the senate and you know that's where family manners continue to be a fringe issue the family act as they're calling this piece of legislation would allow all workers in the u.s to earn 66 percent of their monthly wages up to a certain point certain maximum Um, And it's funded by a small payroll tax of two-tenths of 1%, which is paid for by employers and employees. What's really interesting to me, though, is that right now, more and more candidates running uh, running for or thinking about running for president in the 2020 election, they're making family leave and family issues, um, you know, issues like, you know, children, women, and mothers, what our lives revolve around. They're making it... They're placing it right in the middle of their platforms, and that's where I believe it should be. We've never really done that before in history. Placed real family issues like, you know, pregnancy, prenatal care, postpartum leave, childcare, schools, teachers, health insurance, caregiving, you know, all the stuff that's mandatory for having, raising, and maintaining a family. We've never focused on them before. I mean, we've talked about them. We've nodded at them. We've had platforms where they've been referred to, but we've not given them center stage. We've not said these are the issues that are really, really important, and this is what I stand for. What would our country be like if we did? What if we could all just quit worrying about that stuff and knew that we'd be supported? And you know, that's what happens in other countries. Why not here? Anyway, things are changing now, and with more women seated on Capitol Hill than ever before, We now have a chance of pushing these super important issues out of the margins and right into the spotlight. So keep contacting your members of Congress, email them, call them, go to town hall meetings, and tell them that these are the issues that really matter to you. Seriously, that's how democracy works. 
go talk to them, communicate with them directly. We are a democracy where um, citizens are allowed to do that, and it seriously works. Okay, what else is going on? Well, I got just the sweetest email from a woman who didn't leave her name, but she wrote and said that she'd had a lovely experience and she wanted to share it with other women. So I, it's just lovely, lovely. Dear Jean, I listened to your podcast where you talked about how women need to set up their own postpartum safety net so that they're not isolated and all alone in the weeks after they have their baby. I'm a single mom and I feel very lucky because my mom, my sisters, and my female cousins live in the same town I'm in and they all have young children. They know the ropes. They tell me what to do and they tell me how to do things and they've been checking in with me every day and stopping by to visit all the time since I had my daughter last month. They're my safety net and they've really helped me to feel supported. There was one day when my baby was just a week old when I really didn't feel well. I thought it was just sleep deprivation and my breasts being engorged, but my sister took my temperature and made a call to my doctor. That They got me in for a checkup that day, and it turned out I had an infection. I was fine after taking antibiotics, but wonder what would have happened if my sister hadn't been keeping an eye on me. The other day when the weather in my city was way below zero, my family couldn't get out of their houses to come see us. My daughter and I were just fine, but my neighbor, who I kind of know but am not really friends with, she walked over to my apartment with a big container of chicken and rice plus some brownies. She said she worried about me and the baby and the cold weather, so she thought she'd stop by. She's pretty old, and it must have been hard for her to walk over in the cold weather, but she said she'd raised her children in the neighborhood and liked to watch out for the new mommies. I was so grateful for her doing that that I cried right in front of her. She came in and held the baby a while, and now we're going to be good friends. She's like my grandma Angel, and she's right next door, and I didn't even really know her before. Now I know she's part of the network of mothers all over the world that I never even knew existed before. Anyway, I just thought I'd share that. Thanks for your podcast. Oh, I just love this letter on so many levels. I'm really grateful that whoever you are out there, thank you so much for sharing it with me. I want you listeners to really take it to heart, will you? And ask who in your life might need a safety net. Be part of it. Take us some chicken and rice. And then, you know, if you're the one who's about to have a baby, Start tagging your people and ask them to be your safety net. Don't be thinking that you'll be just fine on your own because, well, you might be. You might also not be. It might drop below zero again in your town. You might need a neighbor to bring you some brownies. You might also need someone to call your doctor or drive you to the clinic. You're going to need your people, so let them know, will you? People love to help. If you say somebody, hey, I need help, will you help me? they will almost always say yes. And they're going to feel great about themselves. You're doing them a favor. Okay. What else? Well, we're going to switch gears pretty soon and get this week's guest on the line. But first let's take a real quick break. Okay. We're back. And this week we're going to talk with a woman whose career somewhat mirrors mine. She's a nurse turned writer, and she has a lot to share with us today about infertility and fertility treatments and her path to motherhood and about the anxiety she felt while working as a nurse and the new career she's forged for herself as a writer and a blogger. 
Visa Chris Lake writes is a personal blog on infertility and motherhood and what happens when these two roads intersect. Let's get Risa on the line. Hey, Risa, it's Jeannie. How are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you? I am doing really well. Risa, the thing I have to talk to you about first and foremost is, um, yeah, I always like to ask people where they are, but you told me you're in Minnesota and it's like 400 yeah. degrees below zero right now, like 900 it is, degrees. It is Arctic here. It is, there is frost inside my front door. Um, it's, it's pretty cold. I haven't been outside since this morning and I have no desire to. Wow. I cannot really imagine it. So what is the actual temperature there? It, the last time I checked, it was negative 27 wind chill, or I'm sorry, negative 27 for the air temperature. The wind chill is, I think it's around negative 54. I can't even imagine what's that what that's yeah. like. I have yeah. I have no frame of reference. Yeah. It's 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 cold. It's really, really cold. And I figure when you start getting below zero, it doesn't really matter. And I guess it yeah, it's just it's just really cold here and you don't want to be yeah. outside. Right. Do you have animals that have to go out at all? I have a dog that I'm trying to um trying to be strategic about his his bathroom breaks because he doesn't get it yeah. until he goes outside and then it's you know freezing and so yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. wow wow <clears throat> well I'm um by the time this episode uh airs you probably will be on the other side of the polar vortex but boy thanks for thanks for telling me about it I'm fascinated yeah. fascinated yeah well, I'm here in Portland, Oregon, and we're having a rare and gorgeous sunny day. Okay. And I think it's super cold. I think it's super cold. I think it's like, I don't know, maybe 47 degrees today. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll quit whining now. <laughs> yeah. And let me move on to my real first question, which I'd like to ask everybody. Um, I read just a little bit of your about page before we picked up the line today, but my first question is always this, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, you know, um, I, have, I have made many different changes um, with my life in the last 10 years. Um, I'm currently, I, I have my own business. I am a freelance writer who writes on all sorts of health and parenting related topics, um, including infertility, pregnancy, mental health. I've been doing it seriously for the last year, but I've been keeping a blog and writing for money since 2013, um, mainly writing through a lot of my fertility treatments. I spent six years going through infertility. My husband and I got married when we were, uh, when I was in nursing school in between years. And it was about a year into our marriage when we really started trying and went through all sorts of fertility treatments. I went through three rounds of IVF. I've had, I've had three miscarriages. I went through two cycles of using an egg donor. And that's actually how I got my daughter in 2015. And mm -hmm. so 
writing about um, infertility, donor eggs, um, just the kind of the common um, issues that come with pregnancy and parenting and the mental health issues that can come about. Uh, those have always been really important for me to talk about. And so, and me being a nurse really helps with, um, you know, kind of helps with getting work. Um, you know, I've been trying to grow my freelance business. So um, it's kind of a nice balance that I've gotten now. Um, yeah. 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 And, and, you know, but before and, that I, you know, I'm, I am a registered nurse. I've had my license since 2009 and I went through um, the two year community college to get my degree. And then in 2013, um, in the midst of all these fertility treatments, I completed my four year degree. And so I worked in a lot of nursing positions, trying to kind of land one that fit for me. And started going through home care nursing. And from there, I got a job in a hospital in the float pool and worked in their inpatient psych unit. I've worked in triage in a doctor's office and wound up in case management for an insurance company. And it's it's a huge, long story um, about leaving that, um, which I'm sure we're going to talk more about. But we yeah, are, yeah. Um, you know, it, it was a, an interesting leap into freelance writing from there. Hmm. We have similar paths. I too am a freelance okay. writer and do a lot of work in the same venues and genres that you do. Although I, I, that was sort of my career as a writer like f five to 10 years ago. And then, you know, I went, you know, nursing, freelance, and then now writing, you know, in different places. It just continues yes. to grow and grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, um, we met online after I read your, I read your article that you wrote for Broadly about nursing and depression, and I wanted yeah. to talk about that. So, yeah, why did you write it, and what's been the response? And tell us about it. Yeah, you know, I you know, like I said, most of the, most of the stuff that I write on is, is parent, you know, parenting or infertility related topics. And I, you know, I, I had this, this idea, did I, I kind of went back and forth if I really wanted to publicly write about it. Um, depression is, is a topic that I really haven't written much about. And, um, you know, when I, when I pitched the idea to the editor, it was the first time um, trying to pitch broadly. And I was really surprised when they took it and writing it was really kind of therapeutic um, to really kind of address those thoughts that I really wasn't alone going through um, this depression while I was in nursing school. Uh, but it's, it's been really positive. I've gotten a lot of emails from people saying, you know, I left nursing because I couldn't, I couldn't handle it emotionally and mentally. And you, you know, for a lot of years, I kind of felt really alone in that, that I had somehow failed being a nurse, um, that I wasn't cut out for it. And 
really writing this article kind of made me realize that, you know, wow, I was going through a lot of, just a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. and I really wasn't alone in it. No, no, you weren't alone in it. I worked um, as a labor and delivery nurse for about 20 years and, you know, did nursing school before that. And over those years, I've known so many nurses from so many departments in so many different, um, you know, clinics, hospitals, doctor's offices, home care, who've, you know, suffered with anxiety and depression pretty closely related to their field of work or been driven out of it completely. And, you know, it's almost cliche sometimes that you look at the nursing profession and you think of it as, yeah, it's like maybe you can do 15 or 20 years, but then after that, who can endure it? It's really intense. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it kind of sounds like since you were bopping around from here to there trying to find your nursing home, you didn't really have an opportunity to settle into a department and no. and hang out with nurses who were 10 years down the road from you or 15 or even one. Yeah. I um I think that that was one of the things that was so hard for me and I I know it comes from me being a perfectionist and making mistakes was always so hard growing up and in nursing school mistakes can one cost you the program mm-hmm. um and and being a nurse um there's a lot of pressure so much pressure. And so much pressure. Um, so much. I just remember. <laughs> I I just remember, you know, being in the hospital and needing to hang blood, and it was mm-hmm. just my anxiety was so bad, just from not wanting to make a mistake, and I I hate the idea that I you know spent a year here nine months there trying to find something that I felt comfortable in because you're right. I, I didn't get to settle into a place and grow some roots. Yeah. 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 Oh, I get it. Boy, do I get it. And then you add in, you know, the hours and the lack of authority and autonomy that nurses experience and the never ending threat of lawsuit and consequences and reprimands. And then you're at the mercy of whatever patient you need meet next or whatever doctor is in charge of your patient or whatever charge nurse is on that night. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And you don't go to work knowing if you're going to take care of four patients or eight, are you going to be sitting around all day with nothing to do but gossip? Or are you going to be, you know, is it going to be crazy night? You don't know. It's so many variables. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I know. I remember that. Um, so a big chunk of my time, I worked um, nights, like 7P to 730AM. And I would start feeling the edginess, that kind of, uh, what's going to happen tonight? Oh, early in the evening, you know, 5, 5.30, until I would hit the floor and know, okay, these are my coworkers. This is my assignment. This is who's in charge tonight. Or maybe it was me. This is the doctor I'm going to be, or midwife I'm working with. And then you kind of know what you're up to, sort of. Yeah. 
unless yes. until the next until the next patient or crowd of patients walks in the door. Yeah. Right. And that's, yeah, that's yeah, the funny yeah. thing is that, you know, I, oh, I felt like that for every shift. And, and then. Me too. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And something would go well. And then I'd say, okay, okay, this is good. This is good. And I'd go and I'd go and I'd go. And then something would happen and it would just crash my confidence. And mm. yeah, I, I mean, I remember going into almost every shift at the hospital with just a pit in my stomach of what was yeah. going to happen. And yeah. it almost felt like this kind of sense of doom. And, and again, later realized, oh, that was really bad. That was really bad anxiety. Yeah, it was. I mean, there's just, it's such a tough job and the stakes are so high and the variables are so fierce. And you know, what it takes to be able to really thrive in that profession, in my opinion, is um, time and mentorship and programs that really train up nurses and changes in power dynamics, not just from administration and physician level to nursing level, but also among nurses themselves, so that there's more compassion and collaboration. I know some departments in the hospitals that I've worked at where, man, those teams are hot. They're great. They support each other like nothing I've ever seen. And their services are excellent and their nurses are happy and they have great outcomes. And then I've also seen units where people are, they don't trust each other. They don't like each yeah. other. They don't like yeah. their bosses. They feel unsupported and like every single shift, somebody's looking at them in the crosshairs for what are they going to do wrong next. And they have, um, you know, a lot of turnover and I can't, you know, I can't point to data that says they have worse outcomes. This is a subjective story here, oh, yeah. but yeah. I mean, you've seen it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you know, the yeah. thing with, with nursing school is, um, you know, I went to, I went to a community college and it was, you know, one of the best schools around here. They had a high rate of graduation. It was mm -hmm. a great program, but you know, our, our clinical situation, you know, we have them, we once a week, we'd go to the hospital, we'd spend, hours the night before preparing for our one patient and then we'd stay yeah. away with this one patient and granted it was still it was still a lot of work it was still a lot of emotional stress but then I got out into the real world and it was I didn't realize how wholly unprepared I was for it um for having oh yeah patients. I know and the time management we just did not get enough of that in nursing school by any means. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And that's really what it's all about. It's about time management and being able to perform the maximum amount of functions on a unit in the shift that you have with the amount of patients. Yeah. It's like advanced algebra. Yeah. And yeah, it, and it's really hard, which is why brand new nurses, and I think anybody under two years is pretty oh, yeah. darn new to the profession. Yeah, really, really, really need to be um, supported and trained and mentored. They just have to. You just have to know that 
whatever I'm doing on this crazy shift of mine, that nurse over there is my touch point where I can go over and say, hey, I can't get this IV started. Or, hey, I am two patients late on rounds and I really need some backup. Or, I don't know this medication. I just did my research super fast on the computer. Do you think I'm right? You know, just something, something that you can do that and know that they're not going to come back to you and say, well, how come you don't know that? I mean, I'd really think at this point in your career, you would know that. It's just so, it can be so petty. Oh, yeah. And you always know know which you can go to and which one you need to stay away from. Yeah. You know, and it was unfortunate because I unfortunately... uh, when I graduated nursing school, I tried so hard to get into um, kind of an internship that the hospitals would have. Well, when I came uh-huh. into nursing, they they were really competitive for one. Some of them didn't even have their programs that year. And so, which is why I ended up in home care nursing. And, and again, that was taking care of one patient at a time. And I yeah. started in the float pool at this very busy inner city hospital. And so you don't have a home unit. No, you have to know everything and go yeah. everywhere and be ready to go on anybody. Yeah. And so starting without any hospital experience, yeah, that was, I'm amazed that I did it for, I, I did it for, oh, I think it was eight or nine months before I, I did transfer um, onto the psychiatric unit. Uh-huh. But I just, and, and like you said, I, you know, I, I was on those units where you knew who you could go to, which ones you wanted to stay away from. I worked with wonderful nurses. Obviously everybody is busy yeah. and I still spent so much of my time feeling just completely overwhelmed with everything because again, you're not, yeah. you're not part of that unit and it's just very different than if you were always there. Yeah. Yeah. You're the other one. You're the other nurse. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't know you. So yeah, you do get treated a bit as an outsider because, you know, if you're working with a team, you know, who can do this and who can do that and who can take three patients and who can take six and who can, you know, this stuff, but then somebody else comes in a float nurse or a travel nurse or a temporary assignment nurse, and you just don't know what they can do. Right. You know? And it's not like any nurse's job is one size fits all. You could be a staff nurse at this hospital, and it's the same as being a staff nurse at that hospital. The systems, the computer, computerization, the charting, everything is different yes. everywhere you go. So maybe that was incredibly yeah. stupid it's of me, impossible. but I I definitely learned a lot, and I I don't regret mm-hmm. it. I think every step in this in this career process has been leading into something new. And so I, I don't regret it, but it was, I mean, the hospital was very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're not even talking about the, you know, the, the heavy caretaking that nurses provide both physically, mentally, you know, spiritually, the whole the whole shlemiel, we have to be there for our patients. And that's so exhausting. Yeah. Plus, we don't know who our patients are. I mean, they could be our very favorite person in the whole wide world in one room. And we're getting along like, you know, we've been best friends forever. And then you go to the next room and it's something <laughs> Yes, it is. Entirely. Yeah. The dynamic 
could be radically different. It could be, you know, people who are scared or angry or frightened and it has nothing to do with you, but you have to add that they're humans and everyone's different. So every every room room is different. Every run. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Nurses are awesome. The fact that we do what we do is incredible. And we have to we have to sing our own praises because that's what we do. Right. That crazy job. It's ridiculous. It's impossible. Right. And we do it right. anyway. And I remember one time um, somebody had told yeah. me, they said, you know, some nurses will work all day in a crazy shift. They won't eat lunch and they'll come home and they're exhausted, but they still feel really accomplished. And then there's other nurses that go through the same day and come home exhausted and they're just exhausted. And I realized I was one of those Mm -hmm. people that was just exhausted, that I loved the fact of working with people and talking with people. Um, It's really funny because growing up, I was not one of those people who wanted to be a nurse. I didn't consider going into nursing until I was 17. Um, The money was what drove me to it. The fact that I could wear scrubs, that was how my 17-year-old mind was Mm -hmm. apparently working at the time. And (laughs) I always wanted... It's as close as you can get to wearing PJs. But then you realize that when you actually become a nurse and you're wearing scrubs, you can't wait to get out of them when you get home. I mean, so it's, it's not like it was really any better, but I, you know, growing up, it's like, I I wanted to be a psychologist, which later I realized it was probably a therapist um, or a writer. And sometimes I wonder, you know, what, what would my life have been like if I did pursue that? Because the part of nursing that I loved most was talking to people, which is why really kind of case management was a much better fit than the hospital because it was so much talking to patients and helping in that way versus physically doing things with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you shifted gears. You, you made a decision to shift gears, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about that. First of all, what kind of motivated that transition? And then, and then how do you describe it? What'd you do? You know, I remember the hospital, that was when my husband and I were starting to really kind of think about more advanced fertility treatments. Um, we were doing um, medicated cycles. We hadn't started at a fertility clinic yet, but I was under the care of an OB. And that was when I started getting really nervous about, oh, how am I going to get the time off for all of these fertility treatments? And, and I think that combined with this anxiety was what really caused me to leave the hospital. And I went through all three, well, actually three rounds of IVF and one round of my donor egg cycle still working as a nurse. And we had ended up traveling down to Texas for these these donor egg cycles. We had done two of them. The first one ended in a miscarriage. And both of those times was almost two weeks off of work. And mm-hmm. I knew that, you know, if this if this didn't work, you know, this was um 
the first donor egg cycle, I had come back into work. I didn't know yet that it would end in a miscarriage. I was still considered, I was still considering myself pregnant. And during that, my mom had also gotten diagnosed with breast cancer. So I had the stress of all this time that I had just taken off of work. I had the stress of going through this treatment and knowing if this didn't work, how was I going to get more time off? I had my mom being diagnosed with cancer and all three of those just, I just remember having this breakdown and saying, I I just can't do this. And I feel like I had to choose between having a family and working as a nurse. And it was like, I came to this crossroads and, you know, talked about it with my husband. He said, you know, we can try, we can try to make this work. Um, quitting nursing was the most surreal thing I ever did. I've, I've left jobs before, but this was leaving a career and yeah, that was, that was really scary. Um, it wasn't even, it wasn't even the situation of, Oh, I'm staying home to raise my kids. It, it was this uncertain, I mean, it was just leaving my job. It was just leaving it completely to focus on these fertility treatments and focus on my mom. And that's really when I started doing more freelance writing. Um, I had already been doing it for a couple years, very casually. Um, I think four, like four articles a month for um, this parenting website, and you know, still continuing my blog, but I had never made any money off of my blog. It was just, it was just kind of this online journal for everybody. And I, I, I left, I quit my job as a case manager. I was making a lot of money. I had this, this stable job and I quit it. And I think it was about four months later, maybe it was less, um, where we went out, did this final donor egg cycle. I got pregnant. It was, it turned out to be the best decision. I could focus on my pregnancy. One, I was sicker than a dog. And I, I, to this day, don't even think that I would have made it anyways. Um, (laughs) I was so sick, but I just, yeah, I just, had all that time then to focus on my writing and focus on this pregnancy. And, you know, even to this day, I I still don't know if it's ever going to happen for us again. And so I'm really glad that I did have that time just to focus on myself. It did wonders for my anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Anxiety is a really valuable tool. It's really, really wonderful in pointing us in the right direction if we're able to listen to it. And, you know, that is kind of something that I think maybe especially for women, it gets devalued. You know, we're, we're, we're not told that, Hey, this is your tuning fork. If you're feeling really, really anxious about this, this is a real blatant sign that this is probably not the direction you should be going. Let's think about something else. But most of us are told something else about anxiety, like, oh, you're too sensitive, or you're so anxious, where it's devalued. And yeah, so you made a really important decision. And 
you wound up with what exactly what you wanted. You wanted your family. Yeah. And yeah. 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 Is your mom okay? Yes. My mom, she, um, you know, was, it was, you know, chemotherapy and radiation. She's, oh, I think she's yeah. five years or almost five years cancer free. And good. Yes, that's, yeah, that was, that was a really scary time. Yeah. yeah I'm almost 19 years cancer free from, from breast okay. cancer. There's life out here. We're, we're done. I'm done oh, with it. Yeah. 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 Well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about your blog. You're still pretty active in posting, aren't you? Yeah. You know, I, I, I feel like I'm so torn all the time because my blog is my baby. I've had it for, I've had it since 2012 and it's just been that place to pour out everything. And, but then I'm really ramping up the freelance writing. I'm really proud of that. I've been really focusing on the fact that it is my business, that this is, you know, a career. And so I do struggle sometimes with, you know, giving it the attention that I want to. Um, we're currently going mm-hmm. through our our final round of infertility treatments and, you know, we'll have our final transfer in about three weeks now. And so I just wish that I had more time to just really write about everything that's going on in my head because... So you're going through this process again for another child right now? Is is that what you're right. Yeah. Yep. All right. Yep. We we have our our three year old now, um, and we just did a transfer in October. We had three embryos left over to freeze after um, our daughter, and in October we had gone back, transferred one embryo. That turned out to be um, another early mm-hmm. loss. I again, you know, I'm um, it's about three weeks away for this next transfer. It's the last one we've sunk. Oh, it's going to, it's going to be roughly $60,000 of, of our Mm -hmm. own money spent Mm -hmm. into this. And so Mm -hmm. it's been 10 years. It's been seven embryo transfers. Um, So I'm certainly going to be, yeah, I'm going to be saying a prayer and lighting a candle. Oh yeah. I could, (laughs) I could use that because I don't have a very good track record of having babies. Yeah, so. well, I'll, I'll do what I can. That's what I can do. I can say a prayer and light a candle and yeah, keep you. you in my thoughts. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you've got a three-year-old. Three-year-olds. Oh, my God. They were, they're yeah. so funny and crazy and ridiculous <laughs> and obnoxious and delightful Yeah, and naughty. <laughs> Yes. She she is spirited. Yep. That's a good way to sum it up. They're so spirited. <laughs> yeah. Spirited. Yeah. Yeah. No, she she's been wonderful. It's I mean, going through this whole process, um, going through infertility, going through losing babies, it really changed my perspective on being a mom and how I how I view her and I mean, there are, there are, well, there's plenty of days that it's, it's rough, mm-hmm. but, um, well, yeah, you know, we've kind of struck. The she's path. three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, she's, you know, now she's in daycare three days a week. I get that time that I need to 
write, to have that time to myself. Um, it's it's a much better balance. I'm staying at home full time. You know, I did it for the first two and a half years. Um, this is a good balance nice. of time away. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, um, what do you write about most, and what do you want to write about going forward? You know, I've it's it's been a really good mix of I would I mean I would say it's mostly parenting related topics. I've really been trying to get into writing more on on different healthcare topics. I love writing about mental health. I love writing about women's health. Um, so that's been something that I've been wanting to focus on more. There's only so many stories I can come up with of oh I know of being a mom. Yeah. And, I know. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's a good balance. I, you know, still love I love writing about infertility. I love um putting it out there and talking about things that that nobody's talking about. Right. And so that's just been right. such a great way to use that passion. Yeah. Yeah. Being, you know, there's a lot of pressure in being a freelance writer too because you have to be a never-ending pitch machine ready to hustle for yeah. the next assignment all the time. And then you get long yeah. stretches where you have a specific client or a specific publication and you're the it girl for a while and then editors change and magazines fold and you have to go do it again. And that is the life of a freelance yeah. writer, isn't it? Yep. You know, and so much of this has just been completely on my own trying to learn all this myself. And it's, it was a huge learning curve in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, just even the act of, of pitching articles to editors. I mean, that's just, it was a huge thing that I had to learn and perfect and I'm decently good at it, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a lot of work. And I don't think that people really realize how much work goes into it. You know, they just see this finished article that's been nice and polished up and they don't realize right. how much, how many hours went into that. Right. A lot of, most people still think that you write the article and then you sell the article. Like you, you write right. the whole darn article. You spend your, you know, eight to 20 hours writing an article, hoping that somebody's going to publish it. Nuh-uh, not if you're making a living. No, you, right. you sell the pitch, the one-page oh, short yeah. story that sums it all up and explains why the readers have to have it in that magazine and why you're the one to write it. Oof. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that even is just there's an art to it. And yeah, I've yeah. you know, taken a couple freelance courses and I, I owe I owe this, you know, semi success to that because it's it's kind of I mean you there's all these little tips and tricks that you just would never know if you were just starting out. Right. Right. Yeah, I know. I I um end up teaching uh writing workshops fairly often about this process of how do you become a freelance writer? And people that's the thing that people are most surprised at is that yeah, you don't write the article till you've got the contract. Your business is about yep. getting the contract. That's what you yep. spend most of your time on, getting the contracts, getting the next yes. assignment, keeping, you know, keeping abreast of what's going on culturally and in your field so that you can write another pitch. It's, yeah, it's oh, relentless. Yeah. It's relentless. It's hard work. <laughs> 
Yep. Yeah. 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 A lot of networking, a lot of checking in with editors. You know, you yeah. haven't, you haven't pitched one editor in, in months. Oh, you better do that because you, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, you know, like you right. said. And and if that editor moves to a different department that you don't write about, or that editor drops off the masthead and goes to a different publication, yeah, 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 yeah. I know. Kind of starting all over again. Yep. 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 I know. Ugh, the hustle. The hustle. Yeah, I know. It's, it's all about the hustle. <laughs> I know it. And I feel like you know I I'm talking to you a week after there were massive. Uh, layoffs of writers yeah. at so many publications last week. Uh, more than yeah. a thousand writers were laid off. So I feel like the freelance pool is growing and yeah. many, 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 many of them are parents like you and me. And that is what, certainly what motivated me into this profession of writing um, is that it was something that I could do and make a decent living at while raising a family. Oh, Yeah. Yeah it's, yeah, it's been awesome. It, it's, I mean, setting your own hours and working when you want to. It's, I, I just don't know if I could ever go back to a regular job. I just don't know if I can. I, yeah. I love doing this. Well, it sounds like you have kind of found your nursing home. In doing well, and that's doing. the thing about, about this is that I love writing. I love educating people. I loved educating people when I was in nursing. And yeah, I kind of found this balance where I can still use the fact that I'm a nurse, but still write and, and do what I love doing. Yeah. Well, the biggest part of the job of being a nurse isn't giving the shots and starting the IVs and changing the bandages and wiping the butts. It's the education process and it is the caretaking process. It's the ability to convey your care, that you care to the person who needs you, your patient. And the fact that you can do that through writing as a nurse is really, really important because that's how people get their information. And healthcare yeah. is so difficult for so many people to access these days that you really don't necessarily have the privilege to be able to go see a nurse and ask a question yeah. about this thing you're going through yeah. and have the feeling that she actually gets you and is giving you information that works for you. Yeah, that's not something that happens easily these days. However, you can find that online. Oh, absolutely. You can find that online. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, Risa, what else do you want listeners to know about you and your work? And what are you excited about working on now? And tell us about that. Oh, you know, I just, it'll be interesting to see what ends up coming from this this last fertility treatment, um, you know, but I've just recently have been talking to a lot of people who, um, not necessarily nurses, but just people who are unhappy in their, in their jobs and thinking about leaving and wondering if, you know, if freelance writing is, is a good idea and, you know, could I know more about that? And it's, 
it's really interesting, you know, when I started out in nursing, it's like I was going to be a nurse. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned in the last 10 years is that, you know, it's okay to change your career and you don't have to be scared about it. I was so scared leaving nursing, thinking that I failed, thinking that all this education was for nothing. And it really just brought about this amazing opportunity that I had no idea was even really in existence. I, when I was younger, it was all about, oh, well, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to, I'm going to be an author. And you don't realize how many opportunities are available out there. Um, you know, but just the fact that, you know, if you're not happy in something that it's, it's, it's okay to leave and to try something else and life is still going to go on. Yeah. Michelle Obama, um, talked about or wrote about that very same experience in her yeah. book becoming yep, I'm reading about, that. about yeah. yeah and I was like oh yeah yeah she's doing it too yeah yeah and for for listeners who haven't read that book or come across that book yet you know Michelle Obama talks about how she had this you know great education and career as an attorney and it invested her education, her money, you know, she was invested in being an attorney. She was a lawyer. And then she got into this practice and she realized, I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think that, you know, a a lot of, a lot of women, um, however, aren't in a position where they can just quit. They just can't say, I'm not going to go to work anymore. I, because you know, they got to pay their mortgage and they got to raise their kids. And I think that especially if you're thinking about going from a day job, solid gig and to something that is more um, consultant or freelance or entrepreneurial or, you know, bottom line, you got to make your own living. Then at least what worked for me is I had several years of overlap where I did both so that I could build until I got to the point where I had enough um, experience and credentials and clients and publications and magazines and an ability to consistently publish and get paid. Oh, yeah. I, I hear about that all the time. I, yeah. you know, and I think that if I didn't have those years of kind of, you know, doing this kind of writing on the side, very few articles, um, it would have been the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And you know, my, my income right now, it's, I mean, it's part-time and, you know, I do have that luxury of having a dual source of income, um, mm-hmm. you know, from my husband mm-hmm. and yeah, cause it's a lot of work yeah. and if I were to be doing this full-time, it's, you know, it's working twice as hard. Yeah. But so many women and men, but so many women are now doing the side hustle because, you know, yeah we're not making enough money at our jobs or we cannot balance our responsibilities with our family lives with our schedules. <laughs> you know, we just can't yeah. or we can't afford the childcare or we can't, you know, our lives as working women does not it, do, it there's no mesh with our lives as parents. It's there's no mesh. It's just a hustle every no. time for every family. And yeah. So we're seeing 
I I think that is the real big challenge of being a woman right now, especially in America. But it's also our opportunity because that side hustle, that desperation to be able to create something that is workable for your life really inspires deep creativity that turns into fabulous careers, wonderful creative pursuits, novels that never would have been written, um, the next best-selling nonfiction book that somebody needs. You know, whatever it is that gets created. I mean, if you listen back to enough episodes, you're going to hear that so many of the women who come on talk on the show, um, whatever their gig is, it came out of their motherhood. Oh yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, and kind of doing this, you know, while I was pregnant, I mean, it was, it was kind of out of desperation of how can I, how can I make this work? How can I make yeah. this work so that I have that life balance? Because at my other job, I would have been out of the house 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Yeah. I would have done it if I needed to, but it was always, well, what can I do? What's a better way to do it? And yeah, this is a lot of work. I am still, I am so much busier now than I was ever working a full-time job, but I'm just so much happier doing it now. I mean, it was just amazing how everything just ended up turning out. Yeah. Yeah. Life works out that way, doesn't it? It it does. Yep. Yeah. Well, we're going to wrap things up today, Risa, but I wanted to make sure that our listeners know exactly where to go to read more about you. What's your website? My website is risacurseflakewrites.com. You want me to spell You've got it one of those that? names. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's R-I-S-A and it's Kerslake. Um, it's K-E-R-S-L-A-K-E rights.com. Got it. Got it. Well, let's just ask a couple more quick questions. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. <laughs> hmm. I would say nobody ever told me that <laughs> I would give up nursing. I think that's I think that was a big thing for me is like I said I I never thought that I would leave nursing and then I accidentally came into this life. Hmm. Then how would you answer this one? Where are you in the world of motherhood? Ooh. Well, I am deep in the world of motherhood. Um, <laughs> you know, there's that, there's that, um, you know, you're, you're raising this toddler and, and then, you know, you're focused on trying to bring an, another one into the world. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it can be really deep in the trenches sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that I'm in a much better place dividing up my time between sending her off to daycare. She has a wonderful daycare that she goes to and she gets her, her socialization and um, somebody else telling her what to do besides her mom and dad. And 
but then when we are together, it's, it's just more quality time that we have. So. Lovely. Lovely. Yeah. Well, Risa, it's been really a pleasure to talk to you and I really appreciate your, your, I, I, I don't get to talk to that many nurses and it's really valuable to me to be able to have this conversation. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. You are very welcome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you and I are probably going to talk again down the road. That would be fabulous. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. That's it for this week, folks. We want to say thanks to our sponsor, Birdsong Botanicals, for helping us keep the lights on here at Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics. Check out their postpartum herb bath over at birdsongbotanicals.com. And don't forget to use the promo code COMMONSENSE at checkout for your 10% discount. Our guest today was Risa Kerslake, and you can learn more about her at risakerslakewrites.com. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. Tweet me at jeanfaulkner. Go find Common Sense Pregnancy over at on Instagram. And go pick up a copy of my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, will ya? And please, please, please don't stop leaving those nice, lovely reviews over on the places where you get your podcasts. Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Picture Studios. We'll talk again next week. Bye-bye. The Dad Experience, a pod network podcast, is a place where new dads, seasoned dads, and even grandfathers can come together and share our victories and some of those parent fails, too. In each episode, your hosts, Mike and Adam, open up about their own dad life, discuss important topics, and bring on dads from all walks of life to share their perspective on fatherhood. Because let's face it, we don't always have the answers or solutions. You can find The Dad Experience on the Apple Podcast app, the Pod Network app, and the Google Play Store. We also want to hear from you, so join the conversation and share an experience with us on Twitter at Podcast or on the Dad Experience Facebook page and help us navigate through all things we call fatherhood.